Welcome to the Poetry Gods. My name is Jose Olivares. My name is John Sands. And my name is Cafe Bustelo. AKA. AKA. The other Cafe Bustelo. AKA. Mommy from down the way. AKA. AKA. The chancleta in your hands. AKA. AKA. The chancleta up your ass. AKA. AKA. I can't speak English. AKA. AKA. I speak it sometimes. AKA. Whatever, my name is Aziza. Wait, did it say, did you say chancleta up your bass? Up your bass. Up your Back and ass. Back and ass. Bacchanal. Brand new Whatever. Don't speak English. My name is Aziza Barnes. Pleasure to meet you. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. We have a very incredible guest for you today. One would say most esteemed. Oh my Most goodness. esteemed so guest. Spe- honestly, dream team guest. Yes. You know? Uh, we have the one and only Lauren Whitehead. Make oh my noise. God. Wow. The one. The, the only. Yeah. We, we, yeah. we have AKA. so much. The chosen one. AKA Octavia Butler. AKA Octavia Butler's brood. Yes. AKA Gin and Titties, which wow. should be your rapper wow. name. That's, for real. That's, rapper that's incredible. Name. Oh, Still good. have it until today. Good, good, go. good. New mixtape coming soon, Gin and Titties. Gin and Titties. <laughs> Look out for that. Look out for that. You must sign a nipple uh, release form today. Uh, to tape. Maybe the album is called There Will Be Nipples. There Will Be Nipples. We are coming to you live from uh, the Hummus Emporium in Brooklyn, New York. You know what I'm saying? To wherever you are. Shout out to Iowa, Montana. Uh, everywhere else in between. You know what I mean? Shout out to the Not much in between. We're really giving a lot of love to Iowa recently. What I don't know where you think of when you think not here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, I don't know, Iowa? What? That is what really? it is. Sorry, Iowa. North Dakota, <laughs> South Dakota. My, one of my cousins live in the Dakotas. Work. There we go. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're going to hop into a very good interview soon. But before we do that, we have a question we must ask. And that After. question is, yeah. what's on... Your, your mind. mind! Your mind. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say. Yes. What is on your mind? All right, y'all. So uh, I just got done, finished reading uh, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Oh, shit. Which is a really incredible yeah. book. Have y'all read it? No. Not yet. Oh, my God. Hard tell. It's, it's so good. Uh, it, it You need to go. You should go read it. But. You know, it's like a post-apocalyptic book of sorts. It's like takes place in this really brutal society uh, called Gilead that you know, you know, follows a, a lot of fundamental Christian beliefs down to the hilts, and uh, you know, fertility has dropped, and there's war everywhere, and so it's it's a brutal regime, and so there's violence constantly happening, right? You know, it's there, but the majority of the book is like very mundane activities. It's like the main mm-hmm. character walking to get groceries it's mm. you know they're like lying in bed and it's like a lot of waiting for the terrible thing to happen mm. wow. and so you know one of the there's a lot of bars in there but one of the things that stood out to me was like you know there's a section where uh the main character is like reflecting on how we got to this point you know what i mean like how did how did we allow this to happen and they're like if you let 
like you, if you sit in a tub that's like gradually heating, mm-hmm. you'll boil to death before you realize what's Ooh. happening. You know what I mean? What? Yeah, yeah, like that's a line. That's a line in the book. Ah! Yeah, and and so I read that, and it just, I mean, the book, wow. the book is is really just like the craft level is really mm-hmm. high, but mm-hmm. uh, that's heard, yeah, and like the ability to to write about the mundane. You know what I mean? Like to make grocery shopping violent to know that on the edge of that is is just brutality to know on the edge of like waking up is brutality is like really black person in america is it's really really crafted so um that's on my mind uh and just been yeah just been thinking about that book and how it connects to like i I guess the question that keeps coming back to me is like are we in a gradually heating tub you know what i mean like is this how it happens you know what Mm. i mean I mean, maybe we've always been in a gradually heating tub, but like, I guess that's that's what I've been thinking about. I think about that a lot, and this segues into what's on my mind. Which what, is, what's on your mind, Aziza? Well, what's on my mind is like masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, there's so much of it that lives in me. Mm-hmm. You know that like I am the bad man that I hate. You know, in a lot of ways, and I'll write that into my writing. Like I have I have one poem called Oil. And I write down, like, he's not a bad man the way I'm a bad man. You know, mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> like I see it and I am it. And, and, I, and, like, there are certain things about masculinity as an energy that I adore. You know, like, it's very yang energy. It's very sun comes up and what am I doing kind of shit, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and not to say that feminine energy isn't, but I feel like this is specifically attributed to masculine energy. of like the charge forward. And I've always been drawn to it. But it... it is slowly killing me the parts of me that i really adore Mm. are you know going into atrophy underneath it or have gone and now they're not but have gone into atrophy underneath this like call to arms all the time and Mm. the sun all the time and this orange like vibrating throttle all the time yeah that i'm like i need i need some yin yo i need i need some i need some women's i need some in myself not in my in in my own body yeah, yeah. and and so i've been like cultivating some real yin some real quiet time some real like i ain't got to do shit i literally told a friend of mine he was like you have to have this, this conversation with me i was like i don't gotta do shit mm. i actually have to do nothing except breathe and die that's that's the requirements of my being on the planet i have to breathe and then i have to stop breathing at some point that's it what you what you were saying about you know, how much you love masculinity and how it's killing you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kava Akbar, shout out Kava. Yes, uh, has, come on the podcast. Yeah, has a has a line in his uh, chat book where, where he says, uh, the addictions I love best were killing me fastest. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that's what, what I hear when you say Absolutely. that. You know and I mean? it's also not even your addictions. It's just like, I feel like the parts of you that you love the most are the parts of you that will kill you the quickest. Mm. Absolutely. You know, like I'm a, I'm a big talker. Mm. It will kill me the fastest mm. if I say some shit I'm not supposed to say mm. about myself to the wrong person. Mm. It'll kill me. Absolutely. And it has. So I, I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about like the ways in which I've come to discuss it. Like I posted like a couple of Facebook statuses and I was like, I don't get it. And I'm kind of off it. And I'm mad, and this isn't about me being mad or feeling big or feeling small or whatever. It's I'm I'm literally confused, and like I've been speaking to a lot of men in my life who were like, "Look, I'm confused too. Like I don't I don't fucking get this shit." And then some men that were like, "Look, bye. You an angry lesbian. I don't want to talk to you no more." And I was just like, "That's disappointing. I'm actually fine with that. 
you know, maybe I am. But I only am because I know I've been that man mm. who's hurt people mm. by being the biggest thing in the room. Mm. And it's just not worth it. Because I'm literally not. Like, you know, and it's not to be like rude to myself or making myself small, but it's literally like the biggest thing in the room is air and is knowing that we're all going to die. Like, that's the biggest motherfucker in the room is that all this is gone soon. And then I'm only feeling big because I don't want to be gone soon. So it's like, wow, what's that? And how can I just fall in love with the fact that I'm going to be gone soon and like not try to invoke it any quicker? See, but I think what you're saying about masculinity, which I think is deeply rooted in the thing that most masculine energy is not allowed to express, Hmm. is fear. Fear. Mm -hmm. And I feel like all of what's most toxic about masculinity is rooted in a fear Hmm. that you won't fit into it. Hmm. So the realization that you're going to die soon Mm -hmm. and trying to be the biggest thing in the space, trying to be bigger than death, I Mm. think gets a lot of men killed. gets a lot of women killed at the yeah. hands of men and also just keeps men from being as vulnerable and as beautiful as they can be sometimes. Exactly. Like, the men that I love are the men in this room right now. And, and other men, but, like, John and Jose, like, you are two people who, with me, have never tried to impose yourself on anything I've mm. done. Have always offered yourself. Yeah. You know? In, in this way that, like, completely humbles me. Because I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean I can have space in your home? What do you mean I can have space in your conversation? What do you mean I can mm. be a fucking mess? You know, a, a death-prone mess. Mm. And, like, you're all right. You're not, you're not trying to control it. You're not trying to manage it. You're just like, go ahead. I think as well, and, I mean, I appreciate that. Masculinity is something that I'm actively grappling with from a story perspective mm-hmm. often and then after a story perspective in practice. Mm-hmm. And I think we, Lauren and I just finished a, a program in the Adirondacks that I talked about earlier uh, on, on, on our last podcast. And I, mm-hmm. and I just like wonder, you know, I know for me what my stories are that I carry in the body mm-hmm. and how unexamined and untold they can be in charge of me mm-hmm. at really critical moments regardless of how educated I am on Mm. the dynamics of power, (laughs) uh, that, you know, stories and the way in which they sit inside the body are chemical. And so there's like the gift of what it is to be vulnerable is a way, like I think vulnerability is the only way in which narratives leave the body and you can Mm. reintroduce logic. (laughs) But you know what? I Uh, I do think though vulnerability in what way? Because I feel like vulnerability with this current jargon you know of self-care and selfishness and working on yourself has been like misappropriated i think the thing is that you can talk about it Mm -hmm. and you can find all the different language and Mm -hmm. it can of course be co-opted as something that you can say on facebook something that i can say on a podcast i can sit here and be like all day like well i want to be vulnerable and i want to be like examining my power dynamics and not do it (laughs) but vulnerability is chemical it's literally the moment of like reaching your hand into something unknown and i think about this in the context of my relationship but i think about it as a critical moment in uh in the context of my most valued friendships as well as like any place where you know like connection is fused is when you are terrified to say something on some level you know it to be true on some level, you know, it will show you a little bit more for who you are and you're like terrified to be seen 
because you don't want people who you love to like not love you anymore. Yeah. But it is like the idea of the unknown. Yeah. Uh, and we practice it as artists. Yeah. We, you know, we certainly practice it in the sharing of art and in the writing of art of being like, I don't know what will happen. But those are the moments that are responsible for the largest revelations for me that I think make me gentler and make me more like a better listener. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the ways, and there are so many ways in which my listening is very limited. Mine too. Still. I mean, you know, like I, I get, and, and I, I'm starting to understand like what in me asks me to go la 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 and not listen to people. And it's like, I'm afraid to be wrong. I'm deeply mm. afraid to be wrong. I'm deeply afraid to be inadequate or the idea of inadequacy. I'm deeply afraid to be stupid is a word that comes up a lot, you know, and and I forget reality, which mm. is actually like, it's not about you, first of all, ever. And then people probably hold you in high regard if they're keeping your company still. So you ain't stupid. And it's not about you. Like, it's really just that it's not about you. It's an anthem. So that's what's on my mind. Yeah. Yo, John, what's uh, what's on your mind? Uh, but one thing that came up on the last podcast that I've been thinking about a lot for the last two weeks since our podcast came out. <laughs> Just kidding. We record these back to back. Uh, <laughs> is we talk about with Adam the idea of, you know, like trying to present a pedagogy to students of saying, let me not only tell like the story of the wound but of the circumference and of all of like the things around it and I think I'm thinking a lot about like what it is to write from a good memory as opposed to like I think when I think of my realist poems or something like that my most honest poems or when I think of like the idea of honesty I like immediately am thinking of like the idea of pain or disappointment or something like that and it's not that those things aren't inside of the, the like really good memories, but I'm thinking of like what it is to close ourselves off from starting with happiness. Even if sadness, mm-hmm. like even if the poem is about sadness ultimately, yeah. I think about Willie Perdomo's Crazy Bunch Barbecue at Jefferson Park. It's yeah. one of my favorite poems of all time. But on the surface, it's just a story about like a really old group of friends getting up for a uh, you know, like barbecue in a park and laughing together and loving each other. But the refrain that he starts with at the beginning and ends with is, this is definitely for the brothers who ain't here, who would have said I had to write a poem about this get together, like a list of names on a memorial that celebrated our own old timers day. For those of us who age in hood years where one night can equal the rest of your life and surviving the trade-off was worth writing on the wall and telling the world that we were here forever and then there's the story of the barbecue and then that comes back and the idea is here is this good moment that for you to truly understand how beautiful and how good it is you have to understand this idea of loss Mm -hmm. you have to understand that this is not that this barbecue doesn't exist in the vacuum it's actually for the people who can't be here right uh and how those two things can intermix in a poem feels critical and like when i read that poem a whole i felt like a whole part of the circle of creativity opened up where I could see all these different entry points into poems that I wanted to write and did not know where the door was. Mm. I remember asking Ross Gay a question like that. It, he was doing a reading in like this Brooklyn Brownstone of Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. Mm-hmm. And I was so, that book moved me so much. I would be routinely like weeping on public transportation, which is really, I think, a good place to cry. But um, 
Yeah. But I remember asking him, I was like, okay, so you've written a catalog of unabashed gratitude. Like, somewhere, do you have a secondary catalog of, like, unmitigated rage? Because it was, like, 2016 and so much shit was going wrong. Right. And I was like, what do you do? Really, what do you do with the rage and what do you do with the grief? And I remember him saying, like, look, none of these joy poems would exist. None of these gratitude poems would exist if I hadn't experienced, if I hadn't experienced so much loss and grief. That they are Ooh. the same. Not They're not just two sides of the coin, they're just one side of a coin, really. Like, it's just one coin, <laughs> yeah. and they all exist together. So every one of those poems, I think, has a turn where you're like, oh, of course she's dead, right? You know, of course this right. poem is about grief, but it's just wrapped up in all this joy all the time. So I think that's a really, I don't know, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing that you're saying. I think most of the poems that I love do that same thing. Yeah. They have a joy way of getting into a grief. Can I, can I tell a quick Ross Gay story? Please. Uh, so Ross Gay was one of the faculty members at uh, the Poetry Incubator at the Poetry Foundation last summer, which I got to go to. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, he did like a lecture on craft and did a lecture on, I think he was supposed to do a lecture on like community and like what he's learned. But during the Q&A section, we're like sitting around and all of us have these questions. And so like, I remember Sarah Kay being like, Yo, you have these really beautiful poems about gardening and masculinity, and like, how did how do you how do you get from like point A, which is like, it, it was just like a really great question, and Ross was like looking at her, and he was like, I don't know, <laughs> and then I remember asking him like a similar question, Lauren, about like, yo, like, you know, this is unab unabashed gratitude and like how do you hold that at the same time that you know yeah there must it can't be like you know i don't trust anybody that's a hundred percent happy all the time you know what i mean and he was he looked at me and he was like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was it was one of those moments where where i was like i don't i don't know like who knows how this happens like it gave me like i was like you don't have to have like a concrete answer for everything you know what i mean okay. like part of it is just like I made this thing, and like I don't know, like don't you know. made of it what you will, and and certainly it means something to me. But like I can't answer all your questions, you know yeah. what I mean? So maybe this is a good uh, transition to the first question of our very hard hitting interview. Yes, we're known for really hard hitting interview. Yes. <laughs> I have, I have, some, I got some yes. questions. This is softer than NPR. Yeah, softer. <laughs> Lauren, uh, yeah. What, what's on your mind? What's on my mind is nude clothing for women of color. LOL, talk about it. Which is, I feel like it's not that serious, but I got invited to participate in this photography project with a really beautiful photographer named Sahar. Um, so he's gonna be a part of it too. And the only rule is that you have to come in plain clothing that is like one to two shades lighter than your skin tone, which is just not a thing that, I mean, it exists, but it's like, in the UK, or it's like mm -hmm. specially ordered, or you have to like United really spend a ton of fucking money trying to find nude clothing for women of color. So I'm like, man, the the hetero like racist patriarchy is strong in America still because I can't mm. even find a fucking camisole that matches my skin tone. Mm. But I think that I'm thinking about this mostly because I hate having my photo taken and so I really want to mm. be beautiful and also I really want to you know be comfortable and so those things are already hard and. On top of that, I saw um, Daughters of the Dust. Have you guys seen this? No, no. By Julie Dash. No. no. Which was, you know, one of the original sort of black girl magic films 
Probably, I think it's, I think it might be, I don't want to be wrong about this, but I think it might be the first full length narrative film directed by a woman of color in America, and it was like wow. in the 80s. Wow. So it was not that long ago, and so wow. she was there, and she was, you know, we saw her shorts, and then we saw the full-length film, which was beautiful, which inspired much of Beyonce's Lemonade, which was just a gorgeous thing to be a part of, to be sitting in a room with all these, like, you know, mostly black girls watching this seminal text, really. And mm -hmm. then um, we did, she had an interview, there was like a panel, and on the panel, her cinematographer was there, and part of what is so beautiful about this film is it's filmed in the Georgia Sea Islands and all the women of color are wearing white dresses. Mm. Like everybody's wearing a white dress. Mm. And the guy, the cinematographer, was talking all this technical talk about like, about how he filmed and what he filmed on. And you know, film is like a really racist thing. Like it wasn't built for people of color. It was built to capture white Law. skin. Right, like yeah. it was not, it was not meant to capture people of color. You know, it just wasn't built that way. It was mm. like, you know, the ideal candidate for film was like an Asian woman's skin tone, had nothing mm. to do with black people. And so somebody asked a really technical question of him about like how he was able to get all these women of color of different skin tones to get the light right. Mm. Really to just get the mm -hmm. light right so that everybody could be seen, right? And so that nobody was in shadow and that everybody's skin was luminous and gorgeous. I mean, you'll see the film and you'll understand. And what he said was that even though all of the dresses look the same shade of white, they were all dyed different colors. Oh. So that the light, when it hit the, the, the fucking like difference between whatever color their dress was and their skin was, oh. would alchemize so that they all looked the same color Stop. and also so that their skin would glow. So they spent all this time with color swatches holding them up to women of color to see what the light would do against this color. And wow. then they dyed these handmade dresses different shades of between like white and orange so that they would all look beautiful on camera and that all the dresses would still look white and I was like you see how hard we have to work to make black women to make sure black women are like seen the way that they should be seen mm -hmm. to be like really visible in this fuck, fuck shit of a and country and don't you, you know want to I mean? like, work like and, don't you want to work yes and I thought thank, I, the only thing I could think was thank god for him like yeah. thank god for him because that film they, I mean, they just look incredible, and you can't, to the naked eye, you can't see the difference in their dresses. You can only see that every one of their, like, different black skins is shining bright and perfect, and they worked hella hard for that. So I'm looking forward to, like, finding my nude, and also well, to a woman of color photographer who's also working that hard to make sure we look that good. Yeah. So, but that's definitely on my mind, because the shoot is tomorrow, it's and I'm tomorrow. like, shit, like... The turnaround is Where am I gonna steep. find it? Well, I, I really do garment. suggest again a plug. Installation Brooklyn <laughs> off of Notion and Hancock, Margot Hughes Boutique. I mean, she's she's incredible. And this is a black woman from Chicago. Hey, hey, hey. And by the time this airs, this will be out. This will be right? out. And um she what I love about her story is that like she used to be a production like a set designer at MTV. And then she quit because she had her kids and she's like, I wanna go be home with my children in this brownstone that I have, that I love, and like bought it, you know what I mean? And then she was like, but I always loved clothes and I always loved making sure people feel really good in their expression. Like that's her philosophy, right? And so she, with me, like she became, you know, you got poetry aunties, but she's like my fashion auntie, like in the city. But today she actually called me on the phone because she has an Airbnb upstairs that me and my partner are staying at. And she's like, uh, so I might want to waive the cleaning fee and you know I'm only telling you this because like we're family and then like hangs up the phone I'm like wait what is this <laughs> and it's like a voicemail but she's like yeah we're family okay go back and like you know she's like 
very sweet and down to be vulnerable and goofy love and it. she'll be that with you as she's finding your beige you know love it so love she's it. pretty it's lit she's pretty lit and the prices are amazing like i have this new jacket now because i bought a jacket from her years ago and i said this no longer fits can i switch it in for something she said yes so i got that for nothing love it yeah wow. The aunties. The aunties. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like, and you should feel free to correct me, like when I've heard you talk in the last like couple years about, you know, like poetry, because I feel like you get brought a lot of places because you're an incredible poet, but oftentimes you're like, well, I do this, you know, like I'm a playwright mm. and I'm a dramaturg. And, um, and yet I feel like we're catching you at a time where like you've written so many new poems recently, yeah. so many stunning new poems and yeah, I'm dude. wondering as someone who like came up through poetry and then found all these other mediums uh, or maybe found them all together like what is it about poetry in general that's like pulling you back right now or why why is that the form through which you're choosing to tell some of the stories you're currently telling maybe what are some of those stories um, you know I think that I don't think that I was ever a poet I don't even think of myself as a poet now I think of myself as like a failed musician <laughs> who like really wanted to um, like play an instrument, but instead got a voice, you know, mm. instead got language. Yeah. So I think that what's what remains true of my life is that I believe and I've always believed that language is like sort of meant to be sung somehow. And so I think that regardless of what I'm writing, I think of those things as songs, always. And so whether it's a script to be read between more than one person, rhythm is always the thing that's most important to me because I think of it as a comp as a composition, right? So I think that if, had I been a, you know, I was in piano lessons when I was like five and I could only go to one because I didn't have a piano at home and my parents were like, it's too expensive for you to not have something to practice on. So it was this thing where had I really been able to invest in like the piano, I might you guys might have never met me. You know what I mean? Because mm. then I would have been doing something else. And I think at every step of the way, you know, before I went to any other kind of graduate school, I was, I got into Berklee College of Music and I was trying to go there. I was trying mm. to be a songwriter. You know, that's, I feel like that's really where, where I want to live. And so um, all of that to say, like, I think that sometimes the way that the music comes out of me is in language but i think that you know you've heard all my poems they're always like but it comes to me in um, mm. a gibberish sort of like rhythm that i'm trying to lock the words into before it comes to me as language mm -hmm. and i sense. only know that it's finished when the music is right yeah. like yeah. when i get to the end of it and it's like oh yeah okay yeah, the song is done. So I, so that's like a that's a that's a cheap way of answering the question. I also think that um, what it is about poetry that I think works for me in every other iteration of my writing is um, a commitment to the right fucking word, mm. to precision in word choice, mm. which I think thank God for poets because nobody does it better. Poets are like no, um, hush is not the same as shut up. They mm. have the same meaning, but hush does not say the same thing as shut up, it just doesn't. And it never will. And it, it won't. And they have the same, the, the goal is the same. And even shut up is different than shut up. True, in, in how you say it, but yeah. I think in how you write it, yeah. if you want hush, get hush. You're, you're not gonna get that from shut up. No, no, never, because totally the consonants. You know, yeah. and so word choice, I think is the thing that returns me to poems. Precision 
is what I admire most in poets and and also their music, right? Mm. Like also, it's why I'm such a Ross Gay fan because mm. he's this is music, man. It's music. You hear, you hear the music in it. Yeah. So is there a subject matter call that's bringing you back, or is it just like this is where I'm making my music? Um, you know, I don't know. Like I think part of it is like I I am not like an organic writer. How do you mean? What What does that mean? You know, I think some writers are like compulsive or something like, or, you know, they like, uh, it happens that they can't get through their day without, without it. Without doing it. You know, like, and it's just organic. They like wake up and they're like, today. Like, it's like, I think <laughs> the story that you told me about Ross and you saw him in a cafe, yeah. Jose, and you were like, right. just writing small poems about things that delight me. Like, yeah. no, I'm not, that's not your girl. Like, I'm right. watching reality TV, so yes. I just like laugh. Yes. Like, I am not an organic writer. Like, you mm. really, ha- like, it takes a lot of work to get me to the page. Like, it takes mm. both a knocking on my, like, psyche that's like, girl, you have to say something about this. It takes, like, a real courage to get to the desk and then it takes like you know so many things but that said I've been teaching a lot of writing classes I've been teaching playwriting classes I've been teaching mm. poetry and performance classes and so um, part of that has meant and working with the slam team and part of that has meant like shit I gotta get some workshops together yeah and so getting those workshops together has really taken me back to the books of poems or taking me back to the source material and trying to get you know unpacking it again and and then I have this commitment to writing with my students. So suddenly I was just back on the page. And even if I'm writing, even if I'm writing a play, I think you know I I line break it like it. it hmm. It's a reminder of good. rhythm for me, that kind of thing, right? Like and good though, like right? Yeah, I mean it's great. So I think so. So I don't think it's a subject matter. I think it's just that I've been that pe- that I've had students who need prompts themselves. And it's easiest for me to sort of write in verse first before I know what form the thing is supposed to live in. Mm -hmm. But I think over the last three years, you know, part of the departure from poetry, I think for me, was like a question of whether or not it was my form. Because Mm -hmm. I knew so much that I wanted to say words out loud. It was so much about my body. And I was so tired of like slam. And I knew there was a spoken word world, but it wasn't like, I don't know, it's just, you know... I think that I wanted more space and more time and I really wanted to figure out what theater spaces did. And so I took this long journey around studying theater and studying forms just to come back to like writing poems. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but that makes so much sense to me though, yeah. dog. Like, yeah. like, cause honestly, cause like going to NYU for playwriting and for acting and directing and what, you know, then design, they made us do all the shit in my studio at the same time. Like, I ran away from it into poetry only to realize the best curated poetry shows are theater. Mm. You know what I mean? And then you go back to theater, like, well, I want theater to be a big curated poetry show. Yeah. And dance party. The end. Goodbye forever. You know? Like, it's I think... It's really just, like, I want theater to have more precision in word choice. And and life. <laughs> and life, you yeah. know? Like, I think there's so much theater. And I love kikiing with you about theater. And yeah. I think we could do it forever. Forever. Because you're simply... I don't know. I can't gas you because you don't like that. You don't like that at all. So I'm not going to do it. It it really doesn't do it for you. And that's fine. And the funny thing is is that, like, I'm not even gassing you. I'm literally being serious, but you're like, please stop. And I'm like, okay, fine. Deeply uncomfortable. And I'll stop because that's not the way you would like to be loved. But, like... I don't know. I it just very much feels like kindred, right? Because mm-hmm. um, and I can say that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's exciting because there are some people who are so obsessed with the thing they're obsessed with that they get myopic and they forget mm-hmm. that like, oh yeah, but if there ain't no pulse, I ain't gonna come. Right. You know, I ain't gonna be there. Right. At all. 
And like what I love about working with you as a from a playwright to dramaturg and you know hopefully one day playwright to playwright whatever is that you're like looking for life, looking for signs of life. Like yeah. working with you feels like we're on Mars. Is that water? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's like, you know, whatever medium you touch, I feel like you're looking for signs of life. Thank you. No doubt. I think that's probably true. Yeah. And that's not a guess. That's just you know, I have to buy it. Right. I'll take that. Yeah. It was thoughtful. That I can right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I have a tangent, you know what I mean? But Please. I you know, I just re- really thought that maybe uh, the <laughs> podcast could use this and that's that you know, the three of us, John and Lauren, played oh a really uh, incredible oh game here <laughs> of Uno. That was gonna be a serious literary game. No, it was not. Listen ever. I, I have some I just I just wanna know uh, I don't wanna talk about old shit is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Buy my new album. Mostly, I just I just wanted to brag on myself. I'm a really great Uno player. You're a really great yeah. bragger. Internet, if you wanna play You're a great me bragger, in Uno, I've taken down John Sands, you know what I mean? You can check the Instagram videos. Lauren did beat me. I have to admit, Yeah, you Lauren, do have to admit that. Right Lauren, here Lauren on beat me, record. but I, I Lauren won the most know. championships. Pretty sure right? I'm the champion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but whatever. If you want to go down the road, that's fine. I mean, Jose wants to go down many roads yeah. most I, of the time. I, yeah, I love, I love all the roads. You know what I mean? All roads lead to oh, Jose, man. and Jose leads to all that's roads. Can we change the subject? Yeah, no. I'll say really quickly, though, that there is something special about a bunch of, like, Midwest kids playing cards in the wintertime, because I feel like that's, like, the story of my life. So, mm. you know, what? You know, however Jose wants to revise the history in that moment, because <laughs> the memory is still true that we were drinking beers and, like, yeah. in the wintertime playing Uno. And that's lovely. At my yeah. Jack Hotel. And that yeah. was that's a lovely. good moment. It was a great moment. Oh, Lots of good Instagram vids from that day. So, yeah. Worth it. It's documented. You know? It is. It is you have true. a question. I think I had a question. Um, That's so riveting like, podcasting right here. <laughs> I, I mean, this is know. riveting. Um, I wasn't there, so I don't care about it. Yes. <laughs> no, but, um, but do check the gram for yeah, just do, highlights. Do, do because these are adorable, wonderful, brilliant people playing an asinine card game that I love. Very that I love. I love asinine it. In the eye of the boulder. Asinine in my eye forever. <laughs> I love Uno. I love Uno. It's fine. Um. Lauren, I have a question. So, in terms of plays, right? And, like, I'm geeking out because we never get to talk about plays on this podcast. But in terms of plays, what was the play that you either read or saw that was the first one that you were like, fuck, that's that's it. Mm. That might be kind of it. Would you be surprised if I told you it was a musical? Not at all. Not at all, right? And it was Ragtime. Oh my God, of course. And I saw it in Chicago. Mm. In the Chicago theater. Mm. I was like, you know, my third, I'm going to be a junior Mm. in high school. Mm. And I had been to plays before. I've been working, so I've been sort of uh, tiptoeing around theater for my whole life. Like I can have very specific memories of like being a baby actress, you know, in Mm. kid stage or... Um, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, so there was, you know, lots of opportunities that I had. I would audition for these, like, traveling circuses, like, not really, but, like, little bands, <laughs> little troops that would, you know, um, train you in theater, and I would always get into them, and then, you know, it was those things where they bait and switch, they would get your child really excited about it, and then they'd show you the price tag, and so there's a lot of moments mm. where my parents were like, oh, baby, like, you can't go, you know? Mm. A lot of heartbreaking moments for me in that way, um, but also... Thing, you know, shout out to my mom who kept me going to those auditions anyway, who was just like, you want to try? Let's try. Let's see what happens. Like, she just never really told me that I couldn't mm. do it. Just the reality of our situation was different. That said, I've been 
sort of working in theater all my life and doing musicals like all my life, like just in junior high. And then, you know, in high school, I went to a super like a ridiculously white high school mm. and I really wanted to be in plays. But there were no parts for me. No, they, you know, they weren't into colorblind casting. Like in the they weren't in into colored people. Uh, they didn't have any room for me. So you know, mm. they would do plays, and I would be like cast as the. They really wanted me to be in the show, but the only role for me was like reporter from Johannesburg. You know, or just, yeah, like literally. So I would have like one line. Yikes. Um. So I was I was involved, but then at some point I just learned that this is not for me. Yeah. Right. Mm. Until I went to see Ragtime, mm. which was this. You know this beautiful fucking musical. Hey, isn't that beautiful? I don't even know. I don't know. I think it's painful. It's like, uh, you know, I don't even know if it's that good. But but it was one of those moments. And I remember buying the tape. Oh wow! uh, With like my twelve dollars at the time, borrowed it from somebody else and maybe paid them back. Not sure, but I had you know I got the tape. And on the tape was Audra McDonald, who was singing the original what? Broadway version. What? And so I, the woman that I saw in the in the theater in Chicago was not Audra. She was I know now because now I understand how theater works. Yeah. But it burned into my mind, into my memory that I was watching Audra McDonald play this part. I yeah. wasn't, but I was but you listening were. to her sing, and then in my memory I was projecting yeah. that voice onto what I had wow. seen. And look, I didn't know who Audra McDonald was, but she is. I mean, she's just. The She's one. Broadway royalty. She is. And I didn't know that black girls were doing that. That could be. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't know that... In, I didn't really know that music was incorporated into storytelling that way. And so I knew then that I wanted to be on stage. I didn't know that I was going to get to playwriting at all, but I did know that stage was going to be involved, that music was going to be involved, that black girls could do it, and that the stories had to work. Um, Amazing. And, and so then when, when did you get to playwriting? So then I, let's see, so I went to college in Michigan, and um, I remember seeing, you know, like, we had a slam, and so a lot of poets would come through the slam, and I was performing poems, and then Bamuti came, and he featured at one of our Grand Slam finals or something, and I remember he did a version, a portion of his solo show, and he he crawled through the aisle in our poetry slam and he jumped up and down and spun around in circles and he he like moved out off of the stage yeah. he made the whole space the, the stage. space yeah. and i was like oh you can get off of the stage you know like it, oh, it blew it opened my mind and i remember saying i'm going to work for you one day wow and that, i think i was like a sophomore and then i did then i went to um the BMV and saw him again and I was like it's me and he's like oh I remember you right wow the, the journey with Bamuti is so long and so deep he's the librettist for this opera that I'm in now stop you know, so it's always he's always you know so I, it, I remember saying yeah he's a brilliant and I, he was the first person that showed me that the thing that I was doing was fodder for a larger thing like one person shows which I had not seen at that time mm. so then I saw his one person show he came back to campus a little bit later and I was like what the fuck what what and this is what I need to be doing so then I followed him to the Bay, and he started to give me more time and space. He gave me 20 minutes in a theater, and he was like, do whatever you want. Mm. And I didn't know what the fuck to do. Mm-hmm. I yeah. just t- took a poem and made it longer, <laughs> sang some songs in between, and then hired some dancers to it do movement. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool. Um, and then he was like, that was great. Um, now I'm going to give you half an hour. And then he gave me half an hour and he gave me a bigger stage. And I was like, well, do the same thing. You know? <laughs> this is true apprenticeship, yo. Truly. And then um, 
And then at some point I was like, man, I gotta figure out how this theater thing works. I don't know shit about it. I'm wasting resources. Because the, the mm -hmm. second time he gave me the opportunity, it, literally it was in, I think it was Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, and I had a full stage and it was just me. Mm. Which to me is like, it was fine, but it was very clear that, oh, this girl doesn't know right. what's possible. Doesn't play this game. She doesn't yeah. know what's possible. Mm. She didn't do shit with the lights, there's no right. set, there's no right. movement, like right. she didn't go anywhere. Like, I was telling a story, but I was doing it the way spoken word artists do, which is, mm. you know, stringing together solo text in a way that didn't, didn't use the space. Right? Yeah, yeah. As, as well as it could be. And I, I remember being like, I just don't, I just don't know um, enough about it. Mm. So then I was like, all right, I'm going to go to playwriting school. <laughs> but playwriting, you need two plays to get into playwriting school. I didn't know fucking plays. Like, I didn't know how to write a play. Yeah. So the bar to get into to get into study required you that you, you had know, already had studied. And I hadn't studied. And so I just started looking for places to go where I could learn about theater. And at the same time, I was like, maybe theater is not really what I want to do. Maybe I just want to write songs. So I applied to... Gallatin, I applied to Berklee College of Music, and Reed applied to Harvard. My husband mm. applied to Harvard. We were like, all right, if we get in, we'll go. If we don't, we won't. Mm. And then he got into Harvard, and I got into Berkeley, and we were like, we're going to Boston. And wow. then I got to Berkeley, and I couldn't afford it, and I didn't get any scholarship money, and I was like, I can't pay for no second bachelor's degree. Like, that's bullshit. Yeah. So then we were just in Cambridge for a while, and Reed was getting his master's degree, and then I started looking for theater programs where you didn't need plays. And that I wound up in dramaturgy, which is like, mm. turns out is a home for me, right? Studying mm. form is a home for me. So brilliant, yeah. Anyway, so then I was suddenly writing scenes and um, a good friend of mine, Ashley, was like, I think you might be a playwright. Like, come mm. to this residency space and work on a play. And she paid for me to go for three weeks to Marcus Vineyard. Wow. I, I know that one. There. I know that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's a bit of a farce to call myself a playwright because I only have two, you know. And Nigga, I only have one. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? So, like, <laughs> I, but you know, you know how I am. I do know how you I'm like, are. I'm not a poet. I've only been doing yeah. it for 14 I, I, I do know, I do <laughs> know how you are, but like, I, I will posit that. Can, do you mind? I know. Speak. Go ahead. No, no, you go. You got it. No, I'm talking a lot. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I was just thinking about uh, a meeting I had with Cornelius Edie where, mm. you know, I was feeling very much like, I don't know that I'm a poet. You know, I like was in this fellowship and I didn't write shit. I was too busy. And mm. maybe the fact that I'm too busy means that this is not for me. Yes. You know what I mean? And uh, Cornelius was like, well, you know, Marie Howe only has two books and nobody ever says that she's not a poet. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Cornelius? Yeah. Right. And, and like, I, you know, I just remembered that. And so, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. For real, because it, it, it reminds me of this conversation. So I was like, it's the first time I really met Desiree Bailey. Shout out mm. to Desiree Bailey. Um, we were both at the Lillian Vernon Creative Writers House to see Eduardo Sicaral read, Nicole Therese Dutton read, and Matthew Olsman read. And I was in like the like a gamey yuck depression. And I came outside and I like skipped the bullshit class. Sorry, NYU, to be there, which is it's terrible. It's terrible yeah. that they have that because you're so expensive. But I was like, you know what? I don't need to go to no voice and speech. I have voice. I have speech. I'm gonna go to this reading. And I remember afterward, me and Desiree realized that we kind of knew each other. And I talked to Nicole Therese Dutton because reading her book, if one of us should fall, like. Saved my life, quite literally. I have not told her that, but it, it did. And afterward, we went to get, like, pierogies. And my first chapbook was going to come out. And sitting down with Desiree and Matt Olsman and Nicole Torres Dutton over pierogies at the Selka, they were all talking about, like, the jobs they had they didn't 
really weren't really into. They were teaching comp. And I was like, Nicole is teaching comp? Mm. But she wrote that book. She won the Cave Conan Book Prize. Like, shouldn't she just be, like, sipping a cocktail forever in a hammock? Like, I <laughs> thought that's how it worked. Mm. And she was like, but I only have one book. And I was like, but that was the book. Like, mm. that was yeah. where Starlight Elsewhere was in. That was the family, that weird station, that series of events will never be enough. Cast yourself off on another adventure. Like, you wrote that. Yeah. And they didn't give you everything? You Who showed is me they? Starlight Elsewhere. Who is they? Why didn't they give you a house on the beach, Who you know? Yeah. And and it's just, it's all I have to say, Jose, is that, like, the fact that you're even asking the question means you're a poet. Mm-hmm. You know, I think. The fact that you even well, fucking care. I also think that there's something, no, like, even an incredible, re- like, revelation documented and then put out into the world in the form of a piece of art, you know, you don't die when that happens. Hmm. You go on living. You have other stories that need to be told and maybe not yeah. in the exact same way that the one that you did tell. Yeah. And so, you as a die. fan, I'm looking at it, I'm like, Adesali's needs to do not a thing for the rest of her life. She can post up on an island if she wants and just like... But she cannot. Right. Yeah, but she's walking around right now and I I mean, who knows what she's thinking. Being a human. But you don't... I I don't think she's like walking around right now being actively proud of Kingdom Anomalia. Even though it's one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life and I'm sure she is proud of it. Yeah. Like, I think it's a real urge to grapple with Mm. sylvia plath has this quote that i'm gonna grossly get wrong (laughs) but it is like the perception when people look at my book is that all of these came out simultaneously when the reality is these are short bursts that bookend long patches of silence and confusion Mm. and like and and you have to live through those too you have to live through both of those and grapple with it but, but you know what's behind this for me is really like, uh, I, don't, I, I can't understand if this is just like racism or if it's just like America. Usually. But I think that there's just a, a real general lack of allowance for people to be like multivaried, to oh be more God, than one yes. thing, right? And I've yeah. internalized that deeply, wow. right? So the majority of work that I get right now, hands down, is working on other people's writing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is supporting the work of other people's writing. I get hired as a dramaturg, freelance. I get hired as a pro- teacher and professor. You know, I go around teaching workshops. My job is not to perfect my craft. My job is to throw my creative energy behind other people's crafts. Right. Yeah. And so then I'm like, I'm not a writer, right? Because I am a writing coach, right? I'm not no, a writer. And I ignore the fact that nobody would give a shit about my writing coaching if they didn't think that I had good if you writing chops, right? Like, writer. that doesn't, exactly. doesn't work that way. But I think... Oh, go ahead, please. And I was going to say that, you know, here I am. I'm going to be in this opera. I'm going to be reciting somebody else's words. I'm going to be singing somebody else's music. I'm performing in somebody else's theater. And that makes me feel like I'm not a playwright. And, and then when I'm in those spaces acting I'm like I'm not an actor I think I'm just unwilling to admit that I am all that I am every place that I go doing the thing that I'm doing I'm constantly being like no I'm not that because because I want to be Lauren not just a writer not just a singer not just an actor not just a teacher like I I want I don't want those things to I don't want any one of those things to to trump any of the fuck I can't believe I said that name to to be privileged over the other and yet I don't think there's a world in which um people ask you to 
to list all of your things. They want to just boil you down to one thing so that we can understand it better. So I, I think that I, don't, I can't decide if that's just like me and I need to really unpack that in therapy or if that's just America right. or, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I mean, right, well, it's probably both and everything I'm sure. forever, right? Yeah. But there's this episode of, um, do y'all watch BoJack Horseman at all? Mm-hmm. No. No. God, that was trash, right? No, no it's no, amazing. No, no, no. It's amazing. It's on Netflix. I tried it one time and I just couldn't do it. I mean, it's it's very dark and very self indulgent. But there's this one episode where they're trying to shoot this movie, this like piece of shit movie, and this director Quentin Tarantulino, <laughs> who is a tarantula. That's why I love the show because well, it's like right. animals and well, and people. Yeah. yeah, and so. He's like, this movie isn't doing it for me. Like, what can we do? How can we fix it? And this one little dude, Todd, whose voice is Aaron Paul, you know, like, Mm. it's very cute, little dude. He's like, well, maybe we can give, like, the woman more lines or feelings or stuff to do. Mm. And he's like, oh, I love it. That's great. I love it. And so then they spend the rest of the episode editing the movie (laughs) and rewriting the whole movie so that at the end they were like... Look, we tried to make it a science fiction film. We tried to make it a series of podcasts. We tried to make it all these other things. We found out this movie was actually just a basket of bi-weekly curated snacks. <laughs> and that's what the movie <laughs> is. And then the dude that the, the movie was based on was like, wow, my story has been told. You know, like, as a series of oh, bi-weekly yeah. curated snacks. Listen, snacks so, are a big part of life. But all, all of that to say, they are. All of that to say is just like, there's something deeply and wonderfully absurd about trying to figure out the thing that you are and the thing that it should be expressed as. Mm -hmm. And a lot of me is inclined after a lot of angst and trauma and absurdity around it to be like, fuck it, if you hire me, you hire me. And I really might make it a bi-weekly curated snack. Yeah. And you have to be careful. Mm. You have to watch out. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what you're going to get? It could be just strawberries and not a show. No, go ahead. Uh, I'm wondering this because I also feel like and maybe this is a leap, but, you know, there's a question of, I'm doing this, and yet there's this other world over here that I'm identified as that I'm clearly not doing right now. Yeah. But I am, want, you know, like, I'm struggling with my affiliation with it. And this, we've been talking a lot in the last few episodes on crushes. <laughs> and crushes. I And, you know. My favorite thing. I know. Favorite. That's why I just feel like I want, I you know, well, I don't want to give the preamble about what your Not Crush series is about, but I feel like there's so much of it that is grappling with, like, alternate realities and trying to play out threads that exist only in the head and maybe aren't possible in the physical world in the way, and, like, how it is for art to exist in those places. I'm wondering if you can just, like, talk a little bit about what that series is and just, like, the why. Yeah. The other thing I want to say about this real quick is that going to dramaturgy school, which dramaturgy is such an ugly word and I don't think anybody knows what it means, but it really means to work with drama. And I think what I spent three years doing was studying forms. And I don't know why I can't... Part of the work of every single writer is to get the thing out of your brain first and then decide what form it needs to take, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't always know that it's going to be a poem. You just don't. Like, I was talking to Patrick Rosal about this, and he was like, I never know if it's an essay or if it's a poem or if it's a prose or if it's a story or if it's even true. Like, he just Mm -hmm. gets it out and then later decides. And so I think there's something about how I allow for that to happen in writing that maybe I need to be a little more generous with myself, right? Like, I don't know what form I'm going to be ultimately, but right now, this is a poem, and tomorrow it's a play, and tomorrow she's a... And what if there is no ultimately? Yeah, like, what if there's just... What if there's just me all over the place forever? Yeah. Anyway, so I'm I'm, um, working on a series of poems about 
<laughs> emotional entanglements that I'm in with people, except those people aren't in them with me necessarily. <laughs> like, so it's really about all of the people that I've felt at least a little bit in love with or crushed mm. really hard on, mm-hmm. and then how they've ultimately disappointed me because mm-hmm. I haven't communicated that to them in any kind of productive way. That's so funny. So it's like, you know, I have a lot of pent up expectation and ideas about what our relationship is. And then they disappoint me because they don't know that I have those expectations or ideas. Yeah, they're like, what relationship? They're like, what relationship? And I'm like, clearly our fucking really deeply important, profound relationship that yeah. we're having together, right? That's going to change I'm the world. I'm only doing it by myself. Yeah. And so then after they disappoint me, I have to break up with them, which is also really complicated because they're not in the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> That's writing a series of poems about my not exes and they're called the not x files and it, i think it's really like about i think it's really about like all those dreams that you project onto the possibility of a relationship Ooh. and the way that they you know unless you communicate them unless you like Damn. share them they can never be a reality never except some the reality of sharing that shit with those people is like also just not a reality it's not okay possible it's it's also deeply not okay (laughs) it's so hard to do so instead i've just been driving that energy into poems and some of them are little micro essays and Mm. you know and some of them are sometimes the the not exes are people that i did share actively you know like emotional work we've done emotional work together like there could have been something but it just didn't pan out they Mm. were never really my boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever and it just you know they still disappointed me somehow Mm. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun because I really just get to make fun of myself and I love that. be a little delusional, you know? I love that. I mean, I love, yeah. like, living in the what if and then never doing anything about it so My that you never place. have to, like, fuck up your own life. <laughs> it's just like, it's that, like oh, that's pretty cowardly, but, well, you know, that's cool I for me. Know. Like, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, I've, I've definitely can, like, tap into some impulsive fuckheadery yeah. and, and make the, like, in my brain crush... A real life problem <laughs> like oh no i didn't actually want you to be a real person yeah. i wanted you, you have that poem yeah in the book that's yeah. like and look i made us i made us an us i made us a we yeah and, and we haven't even us. happened yet you know it's like and, and that was actually like one of the more vulnerable things i'd ever put down on paper because i was just like i'm lonely and mm. you're supposed to like know that and fill up the space and then leave me alone forever <laughs> and and you know what but you know what's fucked up is that the person in question the person in that poem did i think they know did that yeah but for one night and then they left and it was a wrap and i had to be all right with that like you know and i have to be all right with my phone ringing this podcast okay <laughs> Okay, I cannot answer you right now because you know I'm doing this. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's a very complicated moment of like I'm lonely and this is what I know. These are the elements I know would make me not lonely, but they're not. It's like wine won't make you not lonely. This dude won't make you not lonely. You don't even like dudes. This little IKEA bed and fucking on it with said dude will not make you not lonely. Uh-huh. Like. None of it will not make you not lonely. What will make you not lonely is sitting with you, probably, and crying, and then getting over it. Like, that might make you not lonely. You just kind of want to be distracted until the weather changes, but that's okay. See, but that's not where I live. I live in the, like... Where do you live? I live in the, like, oh my god, this is so rare and special. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) it's not even not lonely. Like, it's, uh, maybe there's some, like, loneliness at the heart of that, but I'm married. Like, I go home to a loving partner every time. So the projection of, like, 
something else. I don't think it comes from a place of like not having my needs met because my husband is a wonderful, right. wonderful person. But right. I think it's really just like I interface with so many people all the time that if we have a thing where we click, I'm like, oh my God. You're the is, one. You're it. This yeah. is so rare and special, right? Yeah. Like, are we in this together? And when yeah. really, like, I think there's more opportunity to connect with people that way than, mm, than, than I give way. credit for. I right? think, like, oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think like uh, as well, you know, there are deep emotions in the human experience that call for like we are sitting down at a table and talking about this and there are others that belong inside of poems and I know that you know like and they're not always sometimes there's a Venn diagram there where they cross but I think part of what I love about the not x-files that I've heard (laughs) is that you know I don't think of them as like oh man that's a sign that Lauren should talk to that person in the same way that maybe like I write a poem about my parents and I'm like fuck John this is step one towards you sitting down and talking to your parents about the subject of this poem but there's like something available in the fact that A those poems are rooted in desire uh, Mm, and B they're not something that it seems at least my perception is that you actively feel like fucking answering to no. they are destined Definitely to end not. in this page, no. you know, like in yeah. this expression. And I will say too, like, you know, the poem Jose that you're referencing in which is like, look, come be here. Um, you know, part of that was like, a lo- I mean, I was like 22 when I wrote that, right? So part of it is like an ache and the loneliness and like a, des- a genuine desperation for a thing that isn't in my life. Yeah. But now like, you know, two years later, like I'm with someone you know, like, who is just everything, you know, like, it makes me think of everything yeah. all the time, you know, it makes me think of how everything is curated all the time. So I'm not lonely. I'm not even bored ever. It's like, how can I think of all the things? And, but I do think of people and I do think of like the whole life we could have. Yeah. And I do troll down that little lane and think about like the apartment and think about the kids and think about the dogs or cats and the fish. And I think about like the country we would like move to after it's all over and how our kid Patricia would be a dick and like <laughs> all the shit. And I think about like how our money would go away and how our money would come back and how the fireplace wouldn't light and like, and then it's done. I'm good. And and that's what I get from your not X Files. It's like I'm gonna exhaust myself on this fantasy, and you're gonna be you, and then it's gonna be over. Yeah, and I think what's like particularly great about it is the realization that like I'm not dead, right? Like the desire <laughs> yeah. doesn't die when you find somebody to to love or to and who mm. loves you. Like I, I think that it's so it it's just that's a bar for sure. It doesn't end, right? And I think what's so great about my husband is he like laughs at me you know what I mean he's like oh for real like you're just getting played right now you know what I mean like he just he's like he's really good that's funny and also like not making me feel ashamed that my desire hasn't died right like he she's just like yeah we're human of course you like like this person that you've been spending all this time with lately because you know you've been spending all this time with them lately. Like, you know, he's like, and it happens to me too. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. It happens to you. <laughs> like, no, 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 Stop the fucking presses, okay? It can't happen to you. No, but we, but I think, you know, part of what That's makes funny. our relationship so special is that we can communicate. I can communicate those things to him without him, you know, he'll say things to me like, yeah, I'm s- still here. I think, so I went to a reading, um, Recently, I read my most recent Not X poem, and you know, Reed was in the room, mm. and people kept looking at him 
to see how he was going to react to the poem <laughs> as if I had not really? yet told him. Like, as if like it, you it was the first time that he was, like, aware yeah, of, not yeah. that he had seen yeah, you yeah. crafting this thing for, like, days and days, right? Like, and people were like, I don't know if I'm more impressed with you or with him. Like, you know? And I was like, well, I wrote the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's get it. I did do the yeah. thing. <laughs> like, yeah. he's just standing He's just sitting there. <laughs> he's taking it, but... Anyway, I don't know. I, I I think writing about desire is really good. Sometimes I hate that about myself, though. That like I do too about myself. I write myself. so many like crushy, lovey poems. I'm like, that's such a woman thing to do. I feel. You know, and, and here's the thing, right? Like that's a woman so thing. Crushy, I know, but I just feel God, like it's different. I mean, you're talking you're talking to two crushed men. These men are crushed. This is a romantic shit. My fiance, the first time that I knew that I had feelings for her. Talk about I love the story. I was writing a love poem just to write it. I just like that's the form that was coming out. I was like Something about showing up to your doorstep with a sandwich that hasn't been made yet and you can't hear the song yet. And halfway through, I was like, oh, this is about Maggie. And I didn't even know I had feelings for her until this moment. And I like tucked it away for a month or two, just like, nope. Like, but I knew, and I knew in the process of just allowing myself to write a love poem. Yeah. Because I felt. Rushy. I just Wait, felt John, crushy on the world. You two are some love poem right now. They are Hell love poems. Yeah. Jose is a love poem. Jose is a love poem. You guys are not writing about wheelbarrows or deer at all. I write about wheelbarrows and deer. That's what I do. Jose's poem. If you haven't heard You Get Fat When You're In Love, if you, you have to like heard. stop this podcast and look right it up now. on YouTube. Because it's, it's so Jose's good. poem and in my life. You know what my favorite Jose love poem is so far? And I know you will have a long career of these, so this is just so far. Yeah, was when you were like, yeah, no doubt. When you were like talking about the white girls that you loved and, and it ends with mm. like, and they and I love black women and Latina women, and they are more beautiful than all the white girls ever. Like you were just like, <laughs> and you know, and I know it was yeah, like, like that one goes hard. But then there's another one that you wrote about like a former partner of yours and about like her head wrap before she goes to sleep and mm-hmm. like just like her insistence on please just leave me alone. I'm not beautiful right now. And you like, but what are you talking about? Like you're the only thing happening in my in the world. And and I love What's that. that I forget. That poem is called Pillow Talk. There it yeah. is. Yeah. There it is. And you know, it's, um, I think about that because Jose, like, again, this is like the, in, the upteenth time I'll reference this on our podcast, but like with you <laughs> in love, we both separately in love with two different people and smack happy about it, had yeah. to go pray on some church steps about it. Because wow. we were like, what is good? Why do I feel this good? Yeah. And, and, and I think we got to do that again because we feel yeah. this good. Yeah. Even you, like, you're just like, what is going on? <laughs> Don't know. Because it's like... I, don't know, I remember, like, with the per- with the partner I'm with now, like, meeting them in 2015, and I was doing a reading in Providence, Rhode Island, and they were at a writer's workshop in Providence, and they were about to not come to my reading. I was about to not get on the bus, because I was like, look, everyone on this bus is racist, and I'm a little over it right now today. Like, what Mercury was in retrograde, it is true, and they were just treating me like a fucking slave imp, and I was like, I'm not having this today. Yeah. But I get on the bus, I go... And I'm, like, with Desiree Bailey and Charlie McCure. Shouts out, shout out. But, like, they made me feel better. And, you know, my now partner, then not partner, came. 
and I read my words. And at first they were like, look, what if this is whack? I don't know this person, whatever. And then by the end of it, they're like, I bought your last book. And I went up to talk to them and I remember feeling like, I never want to stop talking to you. Like Mm -hmm. maybe never. And they were like, yo, do you want to come back and like kick it with me? Like the spot the mat? And I was like, no, absolutely not. And they're like, why? I was like, I don't know you as a human. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. Because I didn't realize that was like something special that they were doing. I thought they were just doing that. So then I realized the next day they were like, look, are you still in town? I was like, no, I'm on this bus. I got to go back to like, you know, whatever, nothing. I wish I could stay. And I said, I wish I could stay. Don't you know the bus broke down? For five hours, I got back to New York from a 12 p.m. bus at 12 a.m. Yeah. from Rhode Island. Like, yeah. I can't mess around with language with this yeah. in this way. You cast a spell. Cast a spell. It's like, you're going to stay in the middle of not anywhere you want to be. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like with y'all, I could tell y'all that story. And it was like crushing hard, you know. And, this, and I feel like crushes, maybe we can expand on this, are like these impossible tasks. Like... Mm. It's like, mm, it could so easily live and die in your head alone forever. Like, I could have so easily not texted them again. And, and you could have so easily not, you know, followed up with Maggie. Like, hey, there's a love so. poem with I your name on it. I think it was cooking, it was cooking. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think there's a difference. I think there's a difference. There were people who I've crushed on who the story ended in a poem, you mm. know? And then there are people who... You know, I've like it's gone beyond a crush. And I'm like, no, I have feelings for you. Yeah. You know, like I think when you have feelings for someone, that is a if if you have any hopes for you to have a good relationship in the future, that's the, like the kind of thing that you have to express. Mm. You know, regardless, requited or unrequited. Feelings. Feelings. It feels to me to be different than a crush. Only because, and this is similar to my What's On Your Mind last episode, which was like, you're acting unreasonably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, if the, like, to act unreasonably bears a little context. If yeah. you value a relationship with someone, whether it's feelings or anything like that. I feel like that's for someone you care about to be like, hey, I think I'm acting unreasonably and here's why. But you know what, though? Here's what's hard about it. Because I think sometimes... Love and sex are such creative energies that I think sometimes the wires are crossed up. Mm-hmm. Like, there are people who I'm like, oh, I am in love with you. When really, we just Ooh. need to make some work together. That's it. That's it. You That's know, it like, forever. And it's hard to know, I think, the difference between the excitement that you have around somebody and the way that you're supposed to express the creative yes. language. You know, it's like, am I supposed to have sex with you or write a book with you? I Probably write know, a book with right? you. Right? Like, I. More yeah. than likely, sex is not going to be the thing, right? You it's going to destroy oh, it rather than yeah, facilitate it. Rather than facilitate it. So yeah. I think sometimes it's hard. All those feelings before you... First of all, what's a feeling really? Like, I don't know how to name them. Like, I don't know what the fuck they are. But I think before you can even unpack them, I think it's most natural, especially because I'm a queer person and so I can be attracted mm-hmm. to you or you or you or you or you, right? Like, that... It takes a lot of time for me to first unpack what it is I'm even desiring. Mm. I know that desire is like living in me, but I don't mm. always know what it is except that it is. I want to be closer, right. right? And it's not always sex that's on the other side of that desire for closeness. Like it's usually not. It's so I don't know if you can tell the difference between a crush and the deep feeling of like love or something as it's happening to you. I'm saying that plus patience. 
not the day, not the day I have the feeling, mm-hmm. but when you wake up two weeks later and the feeling is the same, and then two weeks after that, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you time. sparse and you're patient with it and you watch it develop, I mean, then a timer goes off. Sure. And either you take the tree or you take the fruit from the tree or it rots. Yeah. Like, but I mean, of course the tree, the fruit has to grow on the tree, but there's a ripeness that comes with the development of emotion. Well, so just let's take a quick survey. Like, what's the longest crush you've ever had? Like, how, how long is it too long? Eight years. Eight years? What is that? Bro, is that long or no? I don't know. It might. And it's not, and it's not, it's not, it's not like, it's eight years. And, it, and it's not, it's not a romantic love. You know, we thought it was, See? and it's just not, and we just need to right place together for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. But for eight years, we were both just kind of like, are, are you, are we, nah. Are we supposed to make out or make work? Like, I don't know. Make and then like one time work. in a scene, we made out, and I was like, this is terrible. Mm. That's funny. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jose? Longest crush? Actually, maybe, maybe a couple years. I remember one of my first crushes, like, I would, like, it was, like, in elementary school, and she would, I would see her in the hall, and I would, like, Aww. duck into the bathroom. <laughs> and, like, you know, one of my friends would come and be like, what happened? I'd be like, she's there. <laughs> <laughs> she's in the hallway right now. Please tell me when she's gone. <laughs> the sky. And, like, yeah, but, yeah, she was the sky, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, yeah. But it was like that every time I saw her, I'd have to, like, duck away, or, like, wow. God forbid she said, hello i'd be like i'd lose my shit i couldn't think of yeah i couldn't think of what the word was yeah Yeah. um i still blush when i think of my elementary school crush whose name i can't even say because you know because life maybe maybe she's listening to the podcast right now what's up elementary school i got a lot lot of sycamore high school alum here uh i mean you already know i I just remember and this is more about my mom who I love so much and like yes, tried to just like drill home communication into yeah. me. But I remember being in second grade and finally verbalizing to my mom that I had a crush on this girl. And, and my mom's like, Well, where do you see her? And I'm like, I don't know. Recess. She plays Foursquare. My mom's like, You should walk up during Foursquare, say, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? Take her away from her friends and then tell her that you have feelings for her. I was like, Mom. That is you don't get never it. going yeah. to happen. It's <laughs> literally no. never going to happen. You are not a second grader. Mm. You're not a second grader. Like, yeah. This was right around when parents just, just don't understand came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, you get it. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> you know, part, part of what I really enjoy, bless you, oh, about you. writing love poems is for me is that because then, then you express the thing, right? Or you don't, or you think about expressing the thing, but then there's nothing stops at that moment. You know what I mean? And so part of like where I found creative energy in writing a love poem has been in like, well, what do you do after? You know what I mean? Like, what do you do once you have to like, you know, like, yeah, what what do you, how, you have to do this again every every morning as long every as morning. this is true? You know what I mean? Wow. And like, where how does that happen? I, I think about this a lot because I was just with some young people and they were like really confused. They were like, I really just don't know what to write about. Like I write when I'm angry and I yeah. write when I have the big feelings. Yes. But like, what do I do every other day? Yes. And I was like, well, you're still alive, aren't you? Like you're still wow. move, navigating day to day and having like, you're not angry. No one is angry all the time and no one is up here. All You know what I mean, I'm saying? I mean, if they are, yeah. then like it's, it, it's not healthy. 
you know, or it, it's like, like I think about, and Nina Simone has come up in a lot of these podcasts, mm-hmm. right? And I think about her. I think about a lot of artists who I love, who are bipolar, as I am bipolar, and who live for these epic moments, which I, which I do. Like, I'm addicted to epicness. Mm. And that's something I need to really, te- I mean, I temper it, right? I'm just like, then every moment should be little, little, little epics. Little, 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 little tiny, tiny little sanguine epics. So that I can still satisfy this mania without being manic, right? Mm. But Nina was just like, nope, don't know, no language for it. And so you see her on stage, and this woman is free, she's flying. But you wait, you give everything to that, and you have nothing. On the other days, she wasn't alive, mm. actually. Mm. She was dying. Mm. Every day when she wasn't on stage, she was dying. And, and to the point where she's like old. One of her last interviews, and she's on this medication that's like making her hands like shrill up, which like for a piano player is just death. Right. And and this woman's asking her like, you know, have you liked your life? And she was like, you know, no, I I wasn't the first black classical pianist, and I think if I was that, I would have been a lot happier. Mm. And how tragic is that? Because that's just not true, boo. You weren't gonna be happy anyway. Mm. You were gonna live if you were gonna live like that. Mm. Like, you have to be alive all the days. Yeah. You just do. But that's hard. It is hard. You know, I sometimes forget that people like that lived every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's a way in which, like, their fame uh, puts their life on this sort of really neat timeline. Sure. You know, where, like, I think of James Baldwin as, like, every day of his life he was creating a masterpiece. But that's not true. They were just some dull ass days. They you were and just I talked about that must have been. days. We talked about just those, some yeah. regular ass, everyday ass, going to the store to get the bread days. You know, mm. frustrating days where the poems weren't coming or the, the boo wasn't, wasn't happening yeah. or you were just way too drunk, in, irresponsibly drunk or irresponsibly hungover or mm. James Baldwin had the stomach flu. James Baldwin had the stomach flu. I just, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. And yet he had to pray to the toilet every once in a while too. You know, like yeah. he had bad days and food poisoning and just shit that is not a part of the narrative in a way that we think about it we only think about first this and then that mm-hmm. book and then that book and then this trip to Switzerland and all that shit like it's hard to remember that they lived every single day because after their death their lives get packaged up in these really neat ways right so I think the mon- the, the sort of mundane of the everyday like the poet who can make that real mm-hmm. like you were saying about Handmaiden's Tale that mm-hmm. is like that's the work you know and you know and the poet that's what that oh, that's sorry, what stuck out to me, me. Yeah. Um, do you want to I have a question following yeah. up on that point yeah. which is you know the the last time we got to like very seriously it was seriously talk was for like the DAP retreat last year yes, yes. Uh, talk about that. and and you at that time where we're pursuing this project you know you talked about uh, how you were pursuing rejection and to me that's like connected to this understanding that like the only way you get to like the James Baldwin career where it's like book and book and book and book is it to, to live through the rejections, to live through the no's. To, yeah. and could you talk a bit a bit about that and like where that has led you now a year afterwards and what that means for you now? Yeah. So, yeah. So last time we talked. So what's true for me is that I um the act of writing the thing itself feels so good to me that it doesn't really matter that anybody know that I've done it. Like, <laughs> it's not, um, of course I want my work to have audience, but the catharsis comes from me like once it's finished, once I feel like, oh, this is the music, this thing is done. Mm-hmm. And I often want to share it, but I don't have the same like 
I don't have the same like ache to like be on the mic, to grab the mic all the time or to, to publish really. And yet I was beating myself up, coveting the sort of um, rewards or recognition mm -hmm. that people that I love were getting, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, I don't remember who it was, like maybe it was Danez who said, um, or, or somebody said like, you know, I maybe it was Nate, like they applied mm -hmm. to 400 different publications in like one year or something. Like they wow. had a Facebook post that was like, I, I applied to all these things. I can't quite remember who it was, but I was like, oh shit, like part of the reason that their work is out there is because they're putting the work out there. Yeah. Mm. And I'm not, like I'm getting the catharsis, I'm feeling better about myself, I'm saying the thing that I'm having a hard time saying, the thing that's been knocking on my head, knocking on my head, and I feel great. So cool, on to the next like moment of life that is gonna inspire some kind of writing. Yeah. And yet I was like, man, but I do love this work and other people might like it too, like other people might have epic not X stories, like other people mm. might wanna Definitely. know. And so my goal then was to get rejected, which made it easier, I think, in my mind, rather than being like, I'm going to send these poems out. There's going to be a bidding war over who gets to publish not <laughs> X number four. And then I'm going you know, to get my $7. Like, you know, instead of the, the high expectation no. that everybody's going to want to publish me was setting me up to, like, not even try or something. I don't know how to explain it, but I was like, all right, what I'm going to aim for is rejections. Yeah. So... I said that and then I, um, you know, I submitted to like the pinnacle of all places. I submitted to the Paris Review, this mm. piece of writing that I really loved. And I knew that I was going to get rejected. I loved that publication. I knew that it just like wasn't going to go down. And that was one of the still places that accepts publication or uh, submission by mail. Mm. And so they say, you know, send a self-addressed stamped envelope. And so I made the most beautiful envelope that I could. It's still on my inspiration board. I had a Ray Charles stamp on yeah, it. Ray mm. Charles is my favorite recording artist. And... Mm. I wrote a little note on the back of it to myself and I made the envelope as beautiful as I could. I wrote my name in like red, you know, it was gorgeous. I put a little heart, like it was gorgeous because I knew it was coming back to me. Mm. So I sent it out and I courted that rejection and then the piece of mail came and I was Courting like, oh, rejection. this beautiful piece of mail is here and it's for me and I sent it to myself. Wow. And so I started doing that too, tucking little, like, you know, making little letters for myself and hiding them in books and sometimes I'll come across a book and I'll flip through and it'll be like, oh shit, it'll be a note from me to myself from the past right to future Lauren that's just like hey girl today you're feeling good or today you're feeling like shit or we well, you know whatever it is um anyway so I'm saying all that because then I realized that rejection didn't hurt as bad as coveting gifts that weren't mine mm. you know what I mean like pride in my work um and the desire for it to be felt and seen as mine and maybe somebody didn't understand it was not as bad as being like resentful of my friend shining big. Mm -hmm. I didn't want that anymore. I wanted to like do my own thing. And so I started, you know, courting rejection. I started keeping track of them. And I, the girl got a lot of them. And the girl got a lot of them. You know, yeah. so, so many of them. But then it just didn't hurt as bad. A, because I was like expecting it. So that meant that when the rejections were getting more and more personal, like, dear Lauren, we really loved this piece of writing, particularly this part. Please submit again. We can't do it this time. Where, before, you know, the shit that I got back from Paris Review was um, 
like a tiny piece of paper. It was cut haphazardly. It was like, thank you, bitch, but no. I actually wish it was that. I wish it was thank you, bitch, but no. Like, not now, maybe not ever. Good luck. Try, you know, like, it was a totally form rejection. It was a form rejection. Haphazardly cut. You're like, I didn't even take time. No, like, these busters. Like, Whatever this shape this <laughs> Sad face. But but then the rejections got more personal. And I think the pinnacle, the peak, the peak rejection at this point, a year later, is you know, I submitted my memoir to a book prize, a first book prize, um, that was judged by Maggie Nelson, one of wow, my favorite wow, writers. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, man, let me just fuck it. Let me just get this rejection. Cause at the very least, Maggie's gonna read some of it. Right and Maggie, we're not on a first name basis. Just for the record, she does not know me. Right, what up, Maggie? Miss <laughs> Nelson, I mean Professor Nelson. Nelson. Right, Prof. Like, Nelson. Maybe you know that you know. At least it's going to be read, and let me make sure the first twenty pages are fire, so that they'll read at least the first twenty pages. And so I reworked the first twenty pages, and then I got runner-up in that contest, and I was like, oh shit, like. Not only is this, a, you know, I didn't win. You know, you don't get shit in a book prize if you're runner-up except a runner-up. You don't get no book out of it. Yeah, except yeah. that it was Maggie Nelson, one of my favorite writers because of the way that she works wow. and subverts form wow. right lately. And she's just such a, she's like, she's a white girl, but she's a womanist somehow. I don't know. She's just She really does smart. it right. She's really smart and she's just brilliant. And I remember that then I got an email from her that was like, if I could have picked two books, I would have. You wow. have to know that this book is incredible. Wow. And I was like, you know, and I wrote back to her and I was like, honestly, I'm flabbergasted. You're the first person to read it like outside of my mm. my professors. And she was like, girl, like, <laughs> get this book out. You know, like, get this book out. And, and offered, you know, if you have, if you want help on how to do that, like, come back to me. You know, so mm. it was this thing that was like, I had been hiding my work not only from myself, but, and I don't even feel like hiding is the right word because I was getting the catharsis that I needed by making mm-hmm. it and by crafting it and by yeah. making it good. And anytime somebody asked me to share, I was showing up and sharing it. I just wasn't pursuing publication because I, I often think of performance as publication in a way that's not privileged in our genre at all. Right, like, right. Sure. Um, but, but it was, re- you know, that's, you know, a year later, that's peak rejection is that. And she had, and I remember being like, she won the MacArthur Genius Award and then I got an email the next day, and I was like, "Wait a second, you're ain't you supposed to be famous? Yeah, shouldn't you be like popping <laughs> champagne somewhere or like?" And she is, and she's emailing. And she's emailing me. She had time to email That's me and, re- and reply. So, so I think you know my rejections are getting bigger mm. and more personal, and mm. you know, and I, someday they're gonna turn into acceptance. I know. Dog, it's just the best do process. Do y'all have a rejection story? Has there been like a peak rejection that you can think of? It's a weird thing to have a peak for, though. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, like it's know, more like, of a valley. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... You know? <laughs> I, but I, like, yes, but I, I have to check my privilege, though. I, I can't agree for myself with that. I, I haven't had any, really. Mm. Like, not really. I mean, each, each book that's gotten published was from a prize. I won both prizes. And they're yeah. the only prizes that you submitted for? You heard I mean, first, Yahtzee, y'all. Bro. That's beautiful. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> yeah, wrong with that's that. awesome. No, and, yeah. and, and like the college I wanted to go to, I got into. And the program I wanted to go to, I got into. The uh-huh. grad school I wanted to go to, I got into. The 
podcast I wanted to make, we made it. The <laughs> festival I wanted to make, it got made. The, uh, that's true. Well, those are things you yes, created. Well, right, those are but, different. But yeah, they, I agree. But just like, you know, anything that I wanted in the world, I applied once and I got it. Let me say this. My life is also littered with acceptance. Yeah, yeah. By and large. The problem is I was privileging the rejection in my mind mm. as then undoing all the places that I was mm-hmm. being accepted. Mm-hmm. So in the same mouthful that I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to rehearsal with Bill T. Jones for this opera that I got casted. I'm going to debut this thing. I'm going to go to London. Mm-hmm. I was saying, but also like, but mostly like my writing got rejected from muzzle or something. But, you know, I was <laughs> yeah, yeah. privileging the yeah. poem being muzzle. rejected yeah, even muzzle. while, shout out to muzzle. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to keep trying. The girl will be back. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I also think that at the same time I was, I, I had in my mind rejection was so big that it was making it a impossible for me to yeah. celebrate my yeah. friends who were being accepted yeah. all over the place yeah, and yeah. b was making me unable to see what was beautiful about the places that I was being accepted and celebrate to. yourself and also I think was back to that conversation about who you are as an artist right was tr- was I was trying to make it s- to tell me that well, that I'm getting rejected because I'm not a writer. I'm a mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting rejected because I'm not a writer. I'm a something else, right? Mm-hmm. When really I just had made rejection take up more space than it deserved in my Absolutely. process. Absolutely. Can I ask a question? I feel like there's a lot of, you know, talk in this podcast specifically about just like, I don't know, I'm this, but I'm over here as well. And I'm like over here as well. Like, is there, are there a couple moments that in your life or maybe one moment where you felt a real sense of clarity hmm. that was like brought on from something that happened where you were like, man, I've been confused about this, but because in so much of that story, there's like, we talk about the blurriness, but I feel like there are also these profound moments of focus where things become clear for a moment. And then you take a next step towards writing a play or towards writing poetry again or towards coaching a slam team or, or you know, like, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, the first thing that's coming to mind is like um, my the thesis that I did for my MFA, which was to um, update and rewrite, to adapt these monologues in a play, and then to perform those monologues, and then to write an essay about that writing and performing, mm-hmm. which I think is the the clearest synthesis of who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, like I am a writer, I'm a performer. And then I'm an educator, which I think is what I, an educator is a person, I tend to think of an educator as a person who is able to analyze and show people how to analyze, right? So I think that there's, there, there's some, some real synergy in terms of when I get to be um, all the things that I am at once. And this opera is like a really good example. Like I'm going to be a spoken word performer. I'm going to act. I'm not going to get to write so much, but I'm going to get to sing. You know, there, there are moments where I think I get to be, if I'm five things, I get to be three or four of the five. And mm. then I'm like, yeah, mm. that's it. You know, or um, I don't think that I'm, I'm ever going to really get to, I mean, maybe, I don't know, I'm young yet, be all the things that I am all the time. Like, But I do think that synergy happens when I get to be more than one at one time. Mm. You know, like when I'm singing a poem, for instance, I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's me being writer, performer, singer. And that's great. That's beautiful. Um, Lauren, will you close us out with a poem? Or a song? Or, oh. a, song. or a scene? Oh, yeah, we didn't tell you beforehand. Sure. That we but <laughs> we I knew that that was going to be Maybe a premiere. Perhaps a premiere. Uh, of the world. 
you can you can get it together and we'll give you a proper introduction. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah, we can like chat yeah. shit for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, okay. you want to do the honors? Oh, always. Um, and thank you. Um, because because in a in a non gassing her up kind of way, this is this is an important person to me. Um, to all of us here, yeah. but really and truly, like wherever y'all are, if you're on the where could they be they could be on the space shuttle they could be on the space yo i yeah. cried earlier this morning because there i watched a video of this mexican-american dude who after 11 rejections to the space program at nasa got in and flew to the moon or whatever yeah and wow. was like into it and happy about it and i cried i was like this man went into space you know yeah, like that's he, incredible yeah there so are mexicans in space there are mexicans there's one mexican in wow. space there yeah. is a mexican there's in space a mexican in space and he is killing that's the game right now. and he came back from space and he was like i gotta help all the mexicans go to space and he, he is Dude, I he's helping like this. little kids go to stem programs and like wow. he's into it. he's like all of us should go to space we belong there in some wow. estimation oh. so I feel like that's really on theme too like 11 rejections yeah that's yeah. a lot like you you, pre- you prepped for years yeah. and then not nah, and then I'm years and then nah, and then years and then nah. I'm I'm getting ready to uh, apply for a rejection today. You know <laughs> what, what I mean? To where? Yes. To the, to the Dorothy Lily joint. To the Rutherford Lily. The Rutherford Lily. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dorothy Lily. <laughs> but you know, you know what's interesting is like, like I like so okay no so like rejection. I applied to Cave Conum. I applied three times and rejected three times, and I was but I had already set in myself. I was like, look. My little funky twenty dollars. I'm gonna give you that little funky twenty dollars every year till I'm dead, yeah. and I, I'm gonna come one day. And I really don't care when that is. I actually don't, cause I can apply whenever for however long. And then on the fourth one, I got in, and it was like, oh, well, thank you know. And and it and it, it it put in perspective to me like the way I, the way I conceive of real quick rejection is just like I do forget about it the moment I win. <laughs> I'm just like, but I but I. But I get to go now to the place. Mm. And and the rejection part of it doesn't feel so much like an indictment of self or an indictment of process. It's just like, oh, that year I, I didn't go. But mm. but this year I got to go. I feel like I need to say, like, it might sound like a really negative attitude, right? Like, you know, it might sound like a negative thing. But I think it was the thing that I had to do in order yeah. to minimize what rejection could have done. I don't think it sounds negative. It's true of your crushes. It's true of all the things. Like, whatever it takes. Like, I don't want to make it seem like I'm courting a dark thing. Like, I really am just daring myself into the light by accepting the shadow side, I think. And that's what it feels like to me. I don't don't, don't think it's confusing. It doesn't sound negative. And I'm being snarky to being being like... No, 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 no. It doesn't sound snarky or negative. and And I also want to posit that, like... I'm not trying to sound like an egoist, you know? I'm not trying yeah. to sound like, and I just be winning. Because it doesn't feel like that. Mm. It, I think both of it, both of the sides of the same side of the coin yeah. are, I could make this win a failure real quick if I want. I could show up and not show up. Right. I could right, win right, and not right. win. I could lose and not lose. Right. You know? Right, and and you can lose and win by willing yourself to the moment. There you know it is. I mean? yeah. Mostly yeah. that. Yeah. Is. yeah, that's actually. Yeah, I think yeah. it's also like that by submitting for things, you're declaring that you're alive. Yes. You know, you're just like, hey, this I'm thing is here. out there, I'm in and space. I'm here too. And if you like that, 
news and you want me to be a part of your thing, just know that I'm not going to not be a part of it because I didn't tell you I was here. Exactly. Right? And what exactly. it is to just be like, I'm here. And in that sense, think of it, thinking of submission as a declaration of one's presence. Well, you also know? even the word and submission. Regardless of what happens. Right? You don't like, also, to submit. You right, don't to submit. want to get published by a publishing company that doesn't want you. No. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want your poem in a place, like, it's That's not pain. It's not that dissimilar from romance in yeah. that kind of way, where you want it to be a match. With all that being said, you know. What should I read, John? Wherever you, you, you are, you to, wherever you know we be. to wherever we be in the moment, you <laughs> know what I mean? Uh, I need you to put your hands together real loud. Uh, you know what I mean? Put them together, make a lot of noise. Uh, she is uh, a writer, a performer, an educator, an Uno player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, do you ever feel like that? You're like, they call me a poet, but I'm actually an Uno player. I'm actually an Uno champion. Yo, you man, know what when everyone's ready to step into the grown folks games, you let me know. Like, we oh, like, Bidwiz, we can we talk about Bidwiz. Bidwiz. We like, play Bidwiz. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I'm, I'm down to play. Look, that's I'm down to play. I just, I just want y'all to understand... Uh, the what? gravitas what? of the moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> Please, y'all, put your hands together for Lauren Whitehead. Hey! Hey! Okay. okay. Uh, this is 14 out of 30. Let's start with the black mass of me eating two 50-cent bags of puffy Cheetos on a grown-up gray couch, binge-watching intervention hour after hour after hour. That wouldn't be the beginning. The beginning would be awake, wide, empty house, coffee on the perk, mid-ritual weed roll before I've had breakfast. Everyone notices I am noticeably bigger, bulking up, my favorite grandfather says, drunk and unaware of how his Sue saying, while true, is also painful. I get my own heavy truth tongue from him. My husband doesn't say everything he thinks. He is not the addict. I am, though it runs river messy through both of our families. We're thinking about having a baby. We're making plans to get pregnant. In the kitchen, after an argument over who ate more of the pizza, my husband, whose feelings I trust more than my own, sits alone and wonders where I am. I am in our bed, broken from hard fucking, crying my eyes puffy and thinking like an alcoholic. I haven't smoked weed in X number of days, where X equals a cheap and thoughtless sobriety, where sobriety equals two puffs doesn't count, where I started and didn't start recounting after that, where recounting would require presence, where presence would require not drinking, where not not drinking and not smoking is not an option. I am in the bedroom counting alcoholics in my family. I cannot name them. I cannot break their anonymity. Let's just say I take after them completely, in skin and nose, in thigh and regret. Every empty bag of 50 cent Cheetos is tucked deep in the garbage can under apple cores and carrot shavings. Only the guilty hide the evidence. For a living, I encourage people to speak public their demon truths. Oh, what a lush lie I live. Speaking doesn't work. Or if it does, how would I know? I haven't said a true word in years. My therapist yawned for the first four weeks we met. I am a boring repeat tragedy of my own making. The bartender draws a picture of a pizza cut into six slices, mumbles, you are so mad. You're so mad, pointing and laughing at me, but I don't feel mad. I feel hungry. How many ibuprofen do you have to eat before you feel full enough to sink into an ocean? A bathtub's worth, I suppose. On the eighth day, God took a shower and said, maybe today is the day I walk out the door into this wild 
wide world of my own design. Let's call the ninth day Tuesday. Let's say Tuesday is an opportunity, an open calendar, an empty inbox, all potential and ability. Let's say Cheetos are two for a dollar and you have a dollar and a remote and a well-set couch calling out your name like a lover. Even if you made the rain and the water, the tree and the grass, knowing what you could do, would you still go outside? My favorite documentary is about anorexics and bulimics who need coaches and therapists to help them eat cupcakes, who kill themselves at the end of all this. I admire their sadness, the dedication of it. I'm too hungry to die. We are in the kitchen arguing over who's more condescending, the boy who knows that pizza can be cut into six equal slices, or the girl who needs to know her three slices were less than half anyway. There is a draft for women in the US now. I can't tell if I feel more confident or more condescended. Oh, silly politic. I'm so drunk and hungry, I could eat a bomb. Good Lord. Give it up for a moment. <laughs> Put your hands together. And the podcast lands just in your cars. Wherever you are, you know what I mean? In the car, in the subway. You know what I mean? If you were in your car, I bet you pulled over. You might need to. Please be safe on the road, guys. Thanks for having me. Lauren, this was so good. Yeah. Where can the people find Where can they find you? In the world. On the internet. So you can come to my opera. Yeah. Which you should definitely do. It's not my opera, but the opera that I'm in. It's called We Shall Not Be Moved. It'll be in New York City in October. Mm. You can find it on Opera Philadelphia's website. You can also find it on my website, laurenawhitehead.com. It's going to be in the UK as well, right? We have listeners over there. Yeah, it'll be in London, so you can come check it out in London. Also, on the Instagram, Lady Whitehead. And Facebook, Lauren Whitehead. (laughs) Twitter's. Lady Whitehead. So I'll just Google me, man. Just Google me. Google me. On the Google. You might find something. You might be able to find me. But really, just go to my website, laurenawhitehead.com. <laughs> it links to all other places. Beautiful. Uh, you know, as for us, where, where can the people find us, John? Uh, we, they can find us at the... I was ready to say... Yeah, never mind. Uh, where they can... Let me, uh, I'm going to edit that part out. <laughs> They can find us at the Poetry Gods uh, on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. Instagram as well. We have a lot of photos of poets when they were kids. By the time you hear this, there will probably be an awesome, uh, you know, photo of Lauren when she was a kid as well as the rest of the gods. It's a really, really fun Instagram as the uh, sirens go by. This is how you know, y'all. Right that we record this in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Further evidence. Uh, you know, and if you want to send us some thoughts, you can email us. We are at emailthepoetrygods at gmail.com. We always love hearing from people, so make sure you reach out. Uh, what else? I'll say, oh, where can they find you individually on Twitter because I feel like you are a great Twitter user. You I appreciate that. You are a phenomenal that. Twitter user. You know? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I'm, I'm, I was a little sad when the uh, MacArthur Genius announcements came out and, and they once again neglected my work on Twitter. You know what I mean? But that's, <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, you know one day they're going to catch up with you. I feel like it's public record. You know what I mean? Like I'm out here publishing these thoughts. At the very the, least, the Library of Congress is like, See History will vindicate yeah. you in that regard. You Thank will be you. vindicated. Thank <laughs> you. Too. So you have to be. Uh, it's, it wouldn't be fair if you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, this was a rough weekend for me on Twitter. Really? Uh, I mean, it's not not in a sad way, but this weekend was uh, <laughs> oh, no. the NFL draft and uh, ah, my yes. Chicago Bears. Was he saying some wild shit? Sorry, excuse me. 
Huh? Would you say it's some wild shit? No, well, so I get... It's really hard to be a Bears fan. Yeah, Yeah. so I'm a Bears fan, and they made a lot of questionable decisions. And, you know, my good friends, Kava Akbar and Hanif Abdul-Rakib... Shout out. You know, made sure that I knew that my Chicago Bears were fucking up. And so this whole weekend, Mm. I got a lot of... Mm. A lot of like, hmm. and I guarantee you, by the time this podcast come out comes out, all the word out of like Chicago Bears preseason camp is going to be like, Can't Mitch wait. Trubisky is incredible. He's coming along well. Yeah, yeah. And also, what, just he has a great name. My man's Mitch Two Biscuits. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, you can find me at underscore Jose Olivares on Twitter, Instagram. Aziza You can find me At Aziza Barnes On Facebook I deleted my Instagram So you can't find me there You can find me on Twitter At Aziza Barnes You can find my website But I have to change it Because the domain Still has Squarespace in it And my friends Have called me out on this Like nigga You can't live like that Anymore <laughs> Like it's, I'm like Anymore It's, it's like been a day They're like Not even for a day Stop yeah. Like respect it's yourself <laughs> Yeah uh, Something respect yourself So yeah Don't find my website yet But um, this will come yeah. out In August In oh. which case They oh, will be will? able to so, yeah, you'll find me at azizabarnes.com. In August, you should pick up Opera News Magazine, <laughs> which is the weirdest thing, but I'm going to be it's real. in a magazine. That's real. It may or may not be on the cover of said magazine. Wow. In August, so how timely. How timely. Look at Beautiful. you. Yeah. Uh, and you can find me at I yes. am John Sands. That's J-O-N-S-A-N-D-S on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, yeah. Thank it. you so much for listening. You can catch us next time on the Poetry Gods.